So have you ever had such a bad cold that you couldn't smell or taste anything? Right? Yeah, you ever gotten uh, water down so deep in your ears that the, that the world around you sounded completely muffled? That ever happened? Right? How about, have you ever fallen asleep on your arm so hard that you woke up and you realized that your hand was completely numb and, and you temporarily lost the ability to feel with it? That happened to anybody? Yeah, and, and those little things can be disturbing because honestly, just the thought of losing any of our senses, even temporarily, uh, is unsettling, right? In fact, one of my few recurring nightmares uh, involves losing my glasses in the middle of the night when my contact lenses are out uh, and not being able to see if an emergency came up, right? And you're wondering around, like, uh, where am I? But as fleeting as those sensations could be, I'm sure that we all know folks who, for a variety of reasons, face long-term impairment of one or more of their senses, making certain aspects of life uh, extremely challenging. Because our five senses are the way that God has gifted us to interact uh, with the world that he's made, and, and not just physically, but spiritually. And you can see that all through the scriptures in the way that the Holy Spirit uses the metaphor of our five senses uh, to describe and to explain how we relate to God uh, and to each other in his kingdom. And that takes me to our text today. It's a dual text, actually, uh, as you're going to see in Psalm 38 and 39 that we're going to be looking at today are filled with illusions to the sensory way that we encounter not only the creation around us, but the gracious creator who's made it. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along, as I always do, because it's not important that it's in mine. It's important you see it in yours. And Psalm 38 Beginning in verse 1, it's listed as a psalm of David, and he writes, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All day long I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it's also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I'm like a deaf man I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let those not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I'm ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They're mighty. Many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord my salvation. In Psalm 39, also a psalm of David, 
And he writes, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebuke for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere handbreadth. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. The word of the Lord. And you know, as we read through those verses, you can't help but notice the prominence of the five senses in, in the text and how David is describing very graphically how the presence of sin in his life had caused him to have the light in his eyes go dark and to have his ears go deaf to his spiritual condition. And he says it gave him a feeling that brought kind of an anxiety attack of pain into his chest and, and that kind of queasy feeling you get in your stomach, you know, to the point where you can, can almost smell it and taste it on your tongue. And his spiritual reality here really sounds kind of all-encompassing, doesn't it? And you know, that's because even though some folks may like to think that our physical senses have little to do with our walk of faith, I'm not really sure that you can completely separate them as I think David really pointed out here today. And that's because knowledge of Christ and of our faith has to go from the theoretical to the actual. Uh, it's got to move from the head to the heart. In fact, that's really been, uh, Vicki will tell you, one of my fervent prayers in these last few years that as I uh, kind of dig into God's Word and into commentaries and into the great writings of some of the magisterial reformers of the, of the faith, my prayer has been, Lord, don't let me ever know more about you than I know of you. Don't let me ever know more about you than I know of you. Does that make sense? Because, you know, that can happen. It, it can happen if we aren't careful. It can happen if we aren't discerning. Because believe it or not, there are a whole lot of people in the world that know a whole lot about God and his word, but know very little, if anything, of him. And I'll give you just kind of a little, a little practical example that I was thinking of. You know, when I was growing up uh, on the farm back in Pennsylvania, my grandfather always had a fruit orchard, and he raised pears uh, and apples and peaches. I love peaches. And, and I can still visualize the, those trees and that, that fruit in my mind. But let's just imagine for a minute that somebody grew up in, a, let's say, a desert city, and they never saw any fruit trees or saw any real fruit but that person decided to, to Google the word peach and learn about the, the fruit. And so they could, 
learn its origins and they could find out its best growing conditions. They could read about what diseases and uh, what insects influence the, the blossoms as they're coming out. They could research its texture and its average weight and its size and a whole host of other characteristics uh, about it. In fact, that person could go on to actually become a, a sort of expert on peaches through the whole process of intellectual pursuits. But you know, I'd be willing to bet that they would trade all of that to be able to actually hold a peach in their hand, right? Because no matter how much they cognitively know about it, there's no substitute for actually seeing an actual real peach, a beautiful, colorful peach that you can hold in and touching its fuzzy skin, you know, and feeling that slight give of the ripe fruit in your hand and smelling the aroma of it when you bite into it and hearing that sound of the skin, you know, as it breaks when you're crunching on it. And, and feeling that peach juice run down your chin and onto your fingers, right? That's, that's real knowledge of a peach, isn't it? But you know, the scriptures reveal to us a view of that kind of intimate knowledge as well, a knowledge of our God and of our world, and, and most importantly of ourselves in a way that's relational and that's very real. Because you see, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to know some kind of propositional knowledge about, like, for example, there's a God out there that exists. I don't want to know that. I want to know personally that God exists because I've had an encounter with him. And if you're in Christ, so have you. Uh, and if that really happens, we won't just hope that other people come to know God, but we won't be able to help ourselves but to share his word in any way that we possibly can, whether it's visually or audibly, but we do it tangibly. And so in the brief little time that we have, I want us to look at those ideas through the medium of the five senses and ask today not uh, what would Jesus do but instead how would Jesus sound and how does our Lord taste and to ask what, what does Jesus look like to those outside of the faith and what does the master's touch feel like in the world and, and finally how does the aroma of the gospel affect those that are being saved and those that aren't so we'll start out with the uh, the sense that most of us associate with receiving the word, and that's the sense of hearing. Uh, and you know, David really started out with that this morning, giving us a picture uh, of a person who isn't hearing the voice of God. And so he says, but I'm like a deaf man. I've become like a man who does not hear. And, and you know, we all know that sound plays a really crucial role uh, for us in learning. And you know, our Lord actually acknowledges that when he was here preaching. We've studied a lot about this in Bible study and Sunday school because when Jesus addresses the crowds that were following him around as he was preaching and teaching, he would often say to those that had gathered to listen, he would say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. But you know, there's a big difference between having ears on the side of your head and having ears to hear. And he's saying some people hear the word and it goes in one ear and out the other. But when God's Holy Spirit gives someone ears to hear, then the word doesn't just interact with their auditory nerves, but it reacts on the hardness of their hearts to soften them and to make them want to hear more. And not just hear more, but to obey the shepherd's call. Just like Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And not just... Uh, follow him for the sake of following like this passive herd of animals who are just getting their own needs met. 
but to share the life and the love of Christ with everyone around us by being as Christ called us to be salt and light in this world. And that, that takes me to the second of the second and third, actually, of the, the senses, taste and sight. You know, you guys probably already know this, but because of increased heart disease, there's a lot of people trying to lower their salt intake, right, or, or cut salt out altogether. Anybody doing that? So, uh, you know, it's hard for us to remember that salt used to be a scarce and valuable commodity. In fact, uh, Roman soldiers were oftentimes paid in salt, and that's where that phrase comes from, you know, somebody's worth his salt, right? Uh, and that's because in a world without refrigeration, uh, salt's one of the only ways to preserve food and to keep stuff from getting rotten, and at the same time, to enhance its flavor. So we're called to be salt, but we're also called to be light. And, and as for light, well... Light allows us to see whether the things that we're trying to preserve are worth hanging on to uh, or if they're already too decayed and just ready for the, the trash bin. And so for us in a world that's rotting and decaying with sin, we as believers have been sprinkled in to preserve what's pure and at the same time to shine a spotlight on the things that aren't. That's our purpose. And it should bother us if we don't do that. Just like with David this morning, he says uh, in, in Psalm 39, that section we read that he thought, well, I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. He said, I was mute and silent. I held my peace but to no avail and my distress grew worse. And so, you know, David's thinking to himself, well, uh, you know, there, there's, there's sin and evil in the world and I want to defend the honor of the faith, but maybe I should mind my own business because... You know, after all, I, I've had plenty of sins in my own life. And, you know, maybe you and I feel that way sometimes, too. Like, well, you know, I know I should speak up about this issue or about this situation, but what gives me the right? Uh, or, or how about what if I do and they throw my checkered past back up in my face? And, and so, like David, we oftentimes keep quiet. But, you know, he said when he did, uh, my heart became hot within me as I muse the fire burned he's basically saying I, I held my peace till i couldn't take it anymore and then i spoke with my tongue and said oh lord make me know my end and what is the measure of my days let me know how fleeting i am and at first you might not understand why he said that but you know you see you realize that to be salt and light in the world calls us to make an admission of our own frailty and our own need before god first and then then we can invite those around us to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his words and his precepts truly are a lamp for our way and a light to, to brighten the path that he has laid out ahead of us so that we can point to him and not to ourselves uh, as we're reminded those around the Lord uh, that surely all mankind stands as a mere handbreadth. You know, because this world is not our home. This life isn't permanent. And we need to be reminding folks that they should stop and think about that because no matter what other kinds of earthly pleasures uh, that they or we are seeking, you know, the truth is they're temporary at best. Because as Psalm 39, 6 says, a man may heap up wealth in this world, but he doesn't know who's going to gather it when he dies. And so we speak that truth. We speak that truth in love and we speak it into a world that's dark with sin, and we come as light, not hidden, not covered up, but shining brightly and publicly like a city on a hill that can't be missed, inviting the weak and the weary of this world to find a place of rest. And not so people will notice us, 
but they'll notice Christ and they'll give glory to God for the way that their lives have been touched by the love manifested through us, which takes me quite easily to our next sense, the sense of touch, right? You know, when I was reading that section in Psalm 38, 11, where David said, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. You know, when you read that, you, you can almost feel his desperation for, for someone, anyone, to, to stop and just show him a little bit of empathy, right? Show, show him just a little bit of, of comfort or human kindness or a little bit of compassion. For somebody to be a shoulder to lean on or a hand to hold and be able to feel the warmth and the touch of human contact. Uh, and that's fairly easy to understand, but at the same time it begs the question, what does, uh, what does Jesus' touch feel like? What's it feel like? Well, the Gospel of Mark gives us a glimpse of that. In Mark 10, if you remember uh, the story of the leper, Mark 10, 40 says, a, a leper came to Jesus imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And then at the sight uh, of that man's need, our Lord was moved. Uh, in fact, the best translations of the Greek, and if you're following in your Bible, some say deeply moved, some say moved with compassion. But the actual words here literally say he was moved in his bowels. In other words, he felt pity for this man uh, right to the pit of his stomach, right to the core of his being. That's what those words were used to convey. It was the intensity of the emotion that Jesus felt uh, at this man's illness. And what did Jesus do? He reached out and touched him. He reached out and touched that man. And for Jesus to stretch out his hand and to touch that leper was a big deal because in his day, hands-on healing was almost unheard of. There's no mention of it in rabbinic literature. There's no mention of it in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, if you go back and, and research early medical uh, text regulations for cures in that, they had to, to do with prescribing uh, physical cleansing or quarantine of the patient along with uh, dietary restrictions and rest and specific prayers, none of which involved the doctor actually touching anybody, right? Much less a leper. Because in the context of first century culture, for a normal person, the act of touching a leper meant that that person contracted their unclean status and might just as easily contract their disease. But not for Jesus. Not for our great physician who has the, the source of healing, constantly takes the filth and sin of this world into himself uh, and in its place gives back wholeness and health. Uh, and it wasn't something that he was forced to do. It wasn't something that he did for show. But, you know, touching that leper for Jesus was an act of great compassion. And Jesus said to the man, I do want to. I want to make you clean. Be clean. And, you know, in a larger sense, those lost souls who are outside of Christ are spiritual lepers. Uh, and they're infected with the, the internal, intractable, incurable disease of sin. And they're subject to its dreadful consequences in this life and in the next without the touch of the master's hand. And, and so that's why we preach, and that's why we teach, and that's why we talk about Christ to anyone and everyone who will listen, uh, not because we are inherently better, right? We talked about this this morning. Just because we happen to know where to find the cure. As we said in Sunday school this morning, we're just like uh, beggars who found someone else that was giving out bread, and we told other beggars where to go, right? And we're called to bring that touch of God's love to a broken world 
And so we become the hands of Christ's mercy to a hurting world and to hurting people to lead them to him. Because we know that when Jesus touches a lost person, that they're completely healed and all of those spiritual infirmities are taken and they're raised, as it were, from the dead and given eternal life. But you know, we can't get people from there to here with a hands-off approach. Because Christ's ministry and our ministry, our witness in the world has to involve getting our hands dirty. And that means not just reaching out to the beautiful people. Not just reaching out to the people that will thank us. Uh, not just reaching out to the people that will maybe be useful to us back in return. Uh, but Jesus' touch means touching the helpless and the unclean and the outcast uh, and the people that most other people look right past with their noses in the air. And that takes me to the final sense. And this, this is the one that may surprise you. Uh, this is the one that might surprise you the most because as Christians, we're told to go out uh, into the world and appeal to people's sense of smell. We're actually told that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes, But thanks be to God for in union with Christ we are always led by God as prisoners in Christ's victory procession. God uses us to make the knowledge about Christ spread everywhere like a sweet fragrance. For we are like a sweet-smelling incense offered by Christ to God, which spreads among those who are being saved, those and those who are being lost. For those who are being lost, it's a deadly stench that kills. But for those who are being saved, it's a fragrance that brings life. And you see, Paul is telling the, the Corinthians that they're the fragrance, they're the aroma, they're the sweet-smelling sense of Christ. And he uses this really vivid uh, analogy that his readers, his Corinthian readers would have understood, but for us it's going to take a little second of explanation. What he's describing here is this special parade uh, that the Roman army did called a triumph. Uh, and it's where this victorious leader who had uh, conquered in battle and, and extended the territory of the empire would be honored with this huge victory march through the gates and into the city. Uh, and the march would go like this. So first there would be the trumpeters going out ahead uh, and then would follow the soldiers carrying the spoils of war and uh, surrounding the condemned prisoners immediately followed by priests that were swinging big golden censers filled with burning incense. Uh, burning incense whose fragrant clouds hovered above the parade route uh, as the victorious general rode through in triumph. And so from that analogy, Paul says that we are like that aroma of Christ. And, and he's saying that, uh, you know, our risen Lord Jesus, he's, he's the victor. He's the one being honored. And that we go into the world marching in his triumph for parade like soldiers and servants of the master singing in the words of that great old hymn uh, thine be the glory risen conquering son you know that one john right endless is the victory thou or death has won and as his soldiers and attendants were led through the world in a triumphal procession because our lord has won victory over death and we smell the fragrance of victory but the passage also says from that same scent it brings the fragrance of death. And here's what he means by that. If you think about it for a minute, if you were uh, a returning soldier or a Roman citizen, the smell of that incense uh, from the censors would remind you of the victory party that you're headed to. But for the captives, for those condemned prisoners, that same scent was a pungent reminder 
of the death that was awaiting them when they got to the execution ground. Right? It was a fragrance of death because it foreshadowed their execution. And in the same way, our Christ-like behavior, our attitudes and our words and our, our work habits and our relationships and our witnesses and our, and our service for others lingers in the air to the elect like the smell of honeysuckle on a still summer day or like the fragrance of fresh mowed hay or the scent of the air after a thunderstorm. But it doesn't smell that way to everybody. To some where the fragrance of death. And that's because Christ-like behavior makes them feel judged, even if we don't say a word. And why is that? Because the presence of Jesus Christ in us carries with it both victory and condemnation. Right? To all the senses. Because just like light illuminates sinful darkness, it also allows us to see hidden truths. And just like salt stings even as it heals, and like a touch can bring a pain even in the process of a cure, as Christ witnesses, he empowers us uh, to go into the world in front of believers and unbelievers alike to impact their hearing and their taste and their sight and their feeling and their sense of smell. And so today, we need to be asking ourselves, how will I sound today to the people around me? Am I prepared to give out a loving and, and well-thought, audible explanation of the hope that I have in Christ? Am I a flavor enhancer who improves the quality of life for the people that live with me? Or how will I look today? Am I conspicuously Christian in the darkness of the world around me, illuminating Jesus for others to see? Asking ourselves, who can I touch today? Right? Am I the touch of Christ to needy people around me and leaving the aroma of Christ's love that invites people to think about these eternal realities and calling out to them in David's words today, Lord I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sins. Don't forsake me, Lord. God, don't be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my Lord, my salvation. Amen.